This morning, we are in Exodus chapter uh, 12, which is the, which is the, uh, the Passover, and very, very significant passage of scripture. Just come right in. No, it's okay, it's okay. Let's see, yeah, they've taken away chairs. So, looks like you're in the back row. About the only place left. Oh, a little, little note, next week I won't be here, and uh, Charlie is going to teach for us next week. Right, Charlie? Yes. Yes, okay. He, he looked at me like I, he wasn't sure. No, he had said he was going to do that, so Charlie will, he's not going to teach out of Exodus, but on something else, and I hope he shares his testimony with you as well, um, and so come, because that would be, I wish I could be here to hear him teach, because I've heard he's a good teacher, that that comes from somebody who knew when we were looking at bringing him over. Um, all right, we are in Exodus 12, as I was saying, which is the Passover. It's a fairly long passage, very significant passage. Uh, Christ being our Passover is one of the most important ideas that comes out of Exodus. The, the story of the deliverance from slavery is is directly correlated to our deliverance from the slavery of sin. The Passover ties in perfectly. And I know a lot of you have had lots and lots of thoughts on the Passover, so there'll be time for you to share as well um, as we go through here, things that you've thought about the Passover. When I was, before we came up to the valley, when I was working for a a large engineering firm, one of my um, cubicle mates, we were in little cubicles, was named Paul Reinstein. Paul was a a Jew. Um, He was an atheistic Jew. He did not believe there was even a God. And we got close to one of the Passover, Easter time, and I mentioned something about celebrating Easter and a Good Friday and Easter, and he said, well, we'll be celebrating the Passover at our house. And I said, I thought you were an atheist. And he said, I am, but I'm a Jew. And Jews celebrate the Passover. I said, well, is the rest of your family believers? He said, no, we don't ever go to synagogue. We have no Jewishness to us left, but we keep the Passover. And I said, well, what do you do? And he said, well, we have this thing we read. He goes, we make fun of it. We laugh about it, um, but we do it. Um, the Passover to Jews takes them all the way back to their very roots, and the Passover for Christians does the exact same thing. If the Passover is meaningful for Jewish people, the Passover is even more meaningful for Christians because we see not just the deliverance from the slavery of Egypt, we see deliverance from the slavery of sin. So let's go ahead and read the passage, and then what we're going to do is run through this, rather than trying to take big themes, we're going to go through and pull out the parallels to uh, Christ in this passage as we go through. So start at chapter 12, verse 1, and it's a fairly long read. I have to warn you about that. It's a long chapter, but we need to do that. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month will be the beginning of months... Uh, It shall be the first month of the year for you. 
tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what they can, what each can eat. So you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then thou shalt take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. Uh Uh-oh, hold on. We have, there aren't many seats, but just kind of fill in. Yeah, okay. Um, Starting back at verse 10. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn um, in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statute forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses, for if anyone eats what is leavened from that, the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. For seven days, no leaven is to be found in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel. Whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land, you shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of, of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, you will keep his serv- this service. 
And when your children say to you, Why do, what do you mean by this service? You will say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so. The Lord had so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. <clears throat> At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. <clears throat> then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, go up from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. Um, I'm gonna jump down, we're gonna skip one little part. Um, no, no, I'm sorry. Well, let's keep reading. There's part there I don't wanna miss. Uh, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, uh, their kneading bowls being bound up in their clo cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children, a mixed multitude, also went up with them, very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And they baked unleavened bread of the dough that they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leavened, because they were thrust out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared any provisions for themselves. The time that the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of 430 years, on that very day, all the hosts of the Lord went out from Egypt. It was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it, but every slave that is bound is bought for money shall eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired servant may eat it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house and you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let his males be circumcised that he, become, that he may come near and keep it. And he shall be as a native to the land, but no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and the, for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Okay. Very long passage, I know, but we want to get the whole feel of that. Last week, of course, was the last plague, which is the plague of the firstborn. Um, we're not going to spend much time with that because the Passover is going to take so long. But one thing that's important to note is that the plague of the firstborn should have applied to the Israelites as well, right? And he claims the firstborn for himself. They, in fact, should have been struck down, but they were saved by the Passover lamb. This Passover lamb is the antidote to the last plague. Um, 
but let's start and we're going to work through the text and I know it's a long text but there's a lot of repeat did you notice that <laughs> a lot of stuff that gets said multiple times that means it's important but we don't have to say it ourselves multiple times um, the first thing that's said in chapter 12 verse 2 this shall be the beginning of months for you the Israelites had two calendars after this point there was a civil calendar and there was a religious calendar the civil calendar ran on a different time frame that this religious calendar began the moment that they were freed from their sin from their slavery so that month on the 14th day of the month that was the beginning of their calendar brand new calendar by the way it says it's the seventh month the Jewish civil calendar began on in September or October. Isn't that a weird time to start a calendar? What's the right time to start a calendar? January, yeah. Uh, you know why they did it in September and October? Because it dates back to the creation of the world. The world was created in its fullness. September is when there's fruit. I know around here it's earlier than that, but the idea is it was in the fall. So God created the world, according to the rabbis, at a point when it was ready to be lived. It would have been a drag if you had been created in December and there was nothing to eat, <laughs> right? So it was created in September, and then this begins the new calendar. Everybody see the correlation to us? You have a physical birth, right? And you also have spiritual birth. There's a day where the world is created. There's a day where Israel is set free. There's a day that you were created. There's a day that you are set free. We are called people who are born again Christians. Why? Because we have two starting points in our life and Israel follows that exact same pattern. Um, I don't know why the 10th and the 14th, but they were to bring that little Passover lamb. And by the way, the Passover lamb gets named the Passover. This is why up here it says Christ our Passover. It talks about the Passover lamb as if the lamb was the Passover. It takes on that name. The, the, the Passover is brought into the house on the 10th, sacrificed on the 14th. We don't know why. Some people say it's so the, people, the children would get attached to the lamb and it would be more meaningful, but that's never stated in scripture. But I do want to show you something very interesting. Go over to uh, John. Uh, chapter 12. By the way, I should do something first. 10th through the 14th. The 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. You're to bring that lamb in five days before, right? Five days before the Passover, the lamb is to be brought into your house. And on that fifth day, the 14th of the month, you're to sacrifice it. John chapter 12, verse 1. <clears throat> it says this is as Jesus is heading toward the cross six days before the Passover Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was okay six days before the Passover go to um, verse 12 my Bible titles it the triumphal entry the next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was was coming to Jerusalem Jesus entered Jerusalem on the 10th, crucified on the 14th. Okay. Jesus is our Passover lamb, and he fulfilled that same 
that same prophecy. Right. Um, back over to Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> um, as we keep going, um, they're to take the lamb into their house and there's supposed to be one lamb and you're supposed to slaughter that lamb and you are to roast the lamb and then you are to eat the lamb and none of it is to remain until morning. So it's kind of an interesting uh, instruction. Um, it wasn't supposed to be boiled. It wasn't supposed to be cooked in any other way. It was to be uh, roasted. Um, the lamb was to be brought in. There was to be no waste. So if you had a family and there weren't enough to consume an entire lamb, you and several families were to go together. It had nothing to do with being rich or poor, but the lamb was to be consumed. Um, Let's think about our Lord's last Passover supper. <clears throat> As he instituted what we would call the Lord's Supper or communion. What does he do? Breaking Takes bread. the bread. This is my body broken for you. Eat it, right? Um, Jesus is the bread of life. That which is sacrificed for us is also that which gives us spiritual life. It's the, what gives us spiritual nourishment. Um, the idea that the lamb was not to be left until morning. Anybody have an idea? Why shouldn't we leave any of that lamb until morning? There's no refrigeration. Exactly. See, we leave things, right? Sometimes too long, but we, we get done with dinner and what happens? Everything goes in things and goes in the little Tupperwares and goes in the refrigerator for later. You don't have any refrigerators. What's gonna happen to that lamb by morning? It's gonna go bad. It's gonna go bad, it's gonna spoil, it's gonna putrefy. What does Jesus, what, God, what does God say about his son? He will not see corruption. The, the lamb is not allowed to see corruption. They're going to burn it it's going to be consumed. What's not consumed is to be burned. There will be no corruption of this Passover lamb. Okay. Um, now there are some, oh, then we take, oh, 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 even better. Verse six, you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month when the whole assembly of congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. Okay. Here's where we have to be a little careful. Twilight to you means what? Dawn or dusk. It's, what is it? Wait, twilight? It's dawn or dusk, basically. Oh, okay, so you think of dawn. Okay, he's a farmer. Okay, I think of twilight as in the, in the evening. But twilight is that period for us between the time when the sun rises and when it's light, right? So we have morning and the very late evening. That's not what twilight means here. Twilight actually means between the two evenings. Between the two evenings. To the Jews, you had, a, you had day and night. The day was broken up into morning and evening. Okay, we would say morning, afternoon, and evening, right? But they would have morning and evening. Morning began when the sun rose and went until it was at noon which would be halfway through the sky. And from there to where it set was the evening. Between the two evenings is from the beginning of evening to the end of evening. 
Okay? Twilight is between the two evenings. When would that put it? Well, noon to six o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon is when that, that lamb is to be slapped, uh, sacrificed. Okay? It wasn't have to be exactly three o'clock. It was a range in there, but it had to be between the two evenings. When was our Lord crucified? Around three o'clock. Yeah, that's actually when he died. It was around three o'clock. Okay? Um, it's, it's a perfect picture of Christ our Passover being sacrificed to him. He comes into Jerusalem on the 10th. He dies on the 14th. He dies between the evenings at twilight. What would be twilight for them? Okay? Um, you're to take the lamb... Um, roast it, as we said, and to eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Um, let none of it remain. And then there's some other instructions. Um, why unleavened bread and why bitter herbs? So what does the unleavened represent? Time. Well, what does leaven represent? Time. It does, but in the Bible, what does leaven represent? always represents sin unleavened bread means without leaven without sin um, throughout the Bible almost any time especially in the New Testament leaven is used it always refers to sin so the unleavened bread means without sin we're eating it uh, in a in the, the purpose is to remove the sin the reason of course here was the time it didn't have time to rise why bitter herbs? Was that? Uh, yeah, um, that's what they use it for now. They actually put bitter herbs. By the way, what's a bitter herb? Think horseradish. Okay, anybody been to a Passover Seder? Um, there's a point in the Passover Seder where you take the... Um, you take a piece of the unleavened bread and you take horseradish, but not like horseradish sauce, <coughs> ground up horseradish and you put it on there. You're supposed to take a tablespoonful or a teaspoon. I mean, it's a lot and you're supposed to eat that. And the purpose is to make you cry. And trust me, that's what happens. Because when I did the Passover Seder, I thought, I'm going to experience this in full. So when they said put that much on, I did. I was used to horseradish sauce like you get at Arby's, you know, that's mixed with about 20 times mayonnaise and one little part horseradish. Man, that hits you, and you all of a sudden feel like you can't breathe, and you're just crying. Um, they actually will say it's for crying over the plight of the Egyptians. But I think in this context, it's bitterness over our sin and deliverance from our sin. That we were sinful, we were enslaved to sin, and now we are free from sin. So the bitter herbs remind us of our sin, that's repentance. And the unleavened bread is the life that we're to lead uh, afterwards. Okay, as you go on. Um, now, you notice that there are some things that they are supposed to do um, they are supposed to eat it in this manner in verse 11. You shall eat it with your belt fastened, sandals on your feet, staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Um, the Jews 
from this point on did not celebrate the Passover that way. Only the first Passover was celebrated that way. Um, after that, they made several exceptions to what was required at the Passover. It's just a little historical note. Um, you, here's the four exceptions. Uh, you do not have to eat it in Egypt, <laughs> okay? I never would have thought about that, but technically they ate it in Egypt. So they said, we don't have to go back to Egypt to eat this. Um, you do not have to take the lamb into your house on the 10th day. They did not do that from that point on. Only the first Passover and what I would say would be the last Passover when Christ was crucified. Um, they did not require them to strike the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. For those of you who think that a Jewish home still puts blood on, they didn't. They only did it one time. Why? Because only the first time did the actual death angel pass over. After that, there was no death angel, right? It had already been taken place. And lastly, they did not have to eat it in haste. And if you've been to a Passover Seder, Tom, they don't eat it in haste, do they? It stretches out over several, several hours, okay? Um, so <clears throat> when we talk about that, um, you're to take the blood and put it on the doorpost and the lentil. It's funny, Benjamin, we were working over at one of the rental houses and we have this white uh, shed that's got redwood stain on it, just wood with redwood stain. So I had to put on a new doorpost and Benjamin had to paint that or got to paint it. And as he's painting it, he says, I feel like a Jew because <laughs> he's putting the red on the doorpost. But what's interesting about that I've seen this, I just throw this out for you. Here's the doorpost, right? There's the posts, there's the lentil. Um, now, if it was me and my family depended upon it, I would paint the whole thing. But there's a picture if you take and you take that hyssop and you put the blood on the doorposts and the lentil, the picture is that of a cross. Um, the, the blood would drip down from the top, would run down on the sides, but you'd have the picture of the cross. In fact, I think of people who cross, I mean, the, uh, Christian traditions that cross themselves, right? And, and in a sense, the, I, I can never do it. Somebody who was raised Catholic, do it again. Yeah, and it's, it's, what is that? Anyways, I, I don't know if that's intended or not, but to me, the sign of the cross is made when you do this. If you brought that in and you hit it side to side and then went up to the top and brought it, you don't hit the doorpost or the, uh, the threshold, but the blood obviously would have dripped down onto the threshold. Okay? Um, now, let's, let's jump on a couple of things here. Um, the, the blood is put on the doorposts and the lentil. Um, if we go over to verse 22, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basins, touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, none of you shall go out the door of his house until the morning. Um, so what is the picture here? Well, what is the blood doing? Shielding them, protecting them. Protecting them. More than protecting them. It's, it's, it's claiming them back for himself. This was the idea last week, those of you who weren't here. God claims those firstborn for himself. Everybody in Egypt was under the same sentence of judgment. Israelites and Egyptians. The firstborn was to be killed. 
So we take the blood of that lamb and we put it on the doorpost of the house and the death angel passes over that house and that person is saved. Uh, where did you have to stay? Inside your house until morning. Inside the house until morning. Uh, the blood is what protected them. The blood is what redeemed them. The blood is what saved them. Certainly we can see the parallel to the cross. Um, there is only one place that is where you are safe and that is, is under the blood. There's only one way to be redeemed and that is to be under the blood. Uh, only the blood of Christ spares us from the judgment that is coming. The judgment that would have been on all the people in the land of Egypt. Yeah. In that regard, you kind of wonder if the, if the, if the blood, if putting the blood on the doorpost and the lintel was not a kind of test for both the Jews and the Egyptians who would respond patiently. Yeah. And in the sense, you could probably kind of tie that into the choice we face today as Christians. We've got a choice to let the blood of, Je the blood of Jesus cleanse us. We have a choice to let the blood of Jesus cleanse us and make us righteous. Who's going to respond faithfully to Yeah, exactly. Okay, very good. Anybody else want to make comments at this point? Like I said, some of you I know have thought about the Passover. You've thought about all of these things as we go through. Anybody just dying to say something? Say that again. Uh, um, we had that one verse that says that it was a mixed multitude that went out, and most Bible scholars think that means they were Egyptians um, that came out with the Israelites. Um, there certainly would have been Egyptians who, after watching those plagues, said, you know, might be a really good idea to do this. Now, whether they got all the instructions that everybody else got, but um, they, they certainly could have talked to the Israelites' neighbors and figured that out. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, would, the, would, they, would the death angel hurt them or kill the firstborn if they didn't do all the other things too, or was it just the blood around the door? You know, that's a good question. I don't know, but it seems like it was the blood that, that mattered. There was the Feast of Unleavened Bread afterwards. You, you have to wonder, though, if you didn't kill... kill I, I know what you're saying. If you didn't kill the Lamb at Twilight, if you didn't do these things at the right time, would it have mattered? I don't know. I, my guess would be as good as, as good as yours. In my, somewhere deep inside, I hope it's just the blood that does it. Because otherwise we're kind of adding something to it. What they're doing though is they're faithfully doing what God asked them to do to be delivered from that, from that plague. Yeah. Go ahead. Actually, after the fall of Jerus the temple in Jerusalem, they actually switched it. Now often they'll use chicken or they'll use some other kosher animal. It's very rare for them to, to do a lamb. Um, in fact, I, I don't think at our Passover Seder we had lamb. They, they, once the temple had fallen, they actually felt it was wrong to continue to sacrifice lambs. You know, I don't know if it does. The hyssop, they think, was like coriander or it's, um, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that does or not. 
the hyssop comes in a lot in Israel's history. For instance, when they would, on the Day of Atonement, you would take the hyssop and you'd sprinkle blood on the, on the, um, the people. So, um, anyways, but I, I don't know. Go ahead. Well, you, yeah, because we're, we're, we're covered by the blood, yeah. Uh, if, 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 if our salvation depends upon us acting perfectly after we're saved, we're in big, big, big trouble. Yeah, we're, we're covered by the blood. That's why I said the answer to that question, I hope is it was the blood that, that mattered. If we mess up at some detail, because we probably all have, our salvation doesn't seem very secure. Thank you. And that's where we're going to go to exactly next. That's why I put this up here. Um, there's a lot of references to Christ being the Passover, although it never quite says he's the Passover. There were a lot of sacrifices for sin. We saw this last couple weeks ago when Pastor taught. What does, Jesus, what does John say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But there were lambs that were offered for for um, the Day of Atonement. They were lambs who were offered for sin. Um, in First Peter, we talked about it. We are cleansed by being sprinkled with his blood. Christ is the lamb that was without spot or blemish. Uh, by the way, we kind of missed that. Um, there's so much stuff here. Um, the lamb was taken, how old was the lamb? A male, male one year old without spot and blemish. Anybody know when a lamb matures? Yeah, a lamb is, is um, you could breed a lamb from about eight months on and longer. So this is a young adult lamb. Christ, of course, crucified when he was a young man without spot and without blemish. Um, but like I said, in Peter it says we're, we're saved by the blood of the lamb that's been sprinkled on us, a lamb without spot and blemish. But Peter, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, Christ our Passover makes it absolutely clear is sacrifice for us therefore let us keep the feast the feast of what the feast of unleavened bread and the significance here as darla just said is profound it's the feast of unleavened bread what if this was turned around what if it said keep the feast of unleavened bread then christ will be sacrificed for you do you understand the distinction between those two? When do you begin the Feast of Unleavened Bread? After the price has been paid, after the blood has been spilled, after you have been set free from slavery, not before. You cannot turn these two around, and yet people want to do that all the time. My life had better be such that God would sacrifice Christ for me. No. The, the Israelites who are being rescued here are being rescued entirely by God's grace. The re proper response is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Hold on, I'll get take questions in a second. Um, at the Passover Seder we went to, 
Um, we actually went several times. There was, it's really a neat experience, by the way, and they'll bring out even more stuff. So if you have a chance to go to a Passover Seder, but they say that on the day of the Passover, you do this deep cleaning of the house. There cannot be any leaven in the house anywhere. By the way, that doesn't just mean the little package that says leaven on it. That means anything that would have leaven in it. So you can't have a muffin on the counter. That gets thrown out. Um, they clean the entire house. So there's absolutely no trace of leaven in the entire house because they're preparing for the feast of unleavened bread. And then um, they said, if, if you even see a mouse run across the floor, apparently this is not as clean a culture as ours, but you're all done. The mouse runs across the floor with a crumb of bread in his mouth. You have to start the whole process over. And then they take and they leave one little piece of leaven in a designated spot that the father knows. And so the father comes in after all the cleaning is done and he walks around the house inspecting the house and then he finds the one little crumb and he takes a feather and he scoops it off and they take it and take it outside and then the house is clean. Uh, but the idea is sin is gone. Passover lamb, we've been redeemed, but why do we live, why do we keep the feast? That is the proper response to being freed from the sin. This is the, this is the right response of the Christian, but we have to be very careful never to turn that around, right? You don't ever turn that around. Seven days without leaven from that point on. Okay, some of you had comments. Go ahead, Rod. Uh, what I'm finding kind of interesting is there's no real discussion about the Israelites resisting this first Passover. Would you, Rod? Well, after seeing all the other plagues <laughs> that have taken place, I would not want to. I would believe God at this point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and so you look at <clears> the <throat> fact that these plagues have accomplished what God's purpose was, and that was to change the hearts of the Israelites yep. and to fear him. So, uh, yeah, and actually to make himself known to the Egyptians, some of whom also trusted him at this point. So, so that's been accomplished, and, and there's the willingness to surrender to that. Yeah. Go ahead. Funny thing about uh, switching that around to where if it could be if we kept the feast of unleavened bread, Christ's sacrifice come for us. It's kind of funny in that in in the Bible, at least throughout the Old Testament, whenever promises are made like that between the Lord and His people, the people are usually uh, not able to keep it. Yeah. So I think that kind of speaks to speaks to the fact that yeah, if we could lose our salvation, we would. Yeah. Now, there's a few other things, and we're going to run out of time here. Um, so I just want to heat those and hit those, and then I want to um, bring out some lessons from today, although I think they're pretty clear. <clears throat> the, um, there's a couple of comments that are made that I think are important. First of all, uh, no one who is uncircumcised um, is allowed to keep the Passover. Um, at this point, in other words, to be part of the Passover, you have to be included in the covenant of Israel. Um, and so that's an important thing to mention. Um, the, there was a, a, a note here that um, in verse 46, uh, and by the way, I, I should have continued with that thought. When, when we take communion, 
Um, communion is for who? Just believers, right? We always make the warning, or we should, that if you are not a believer, you should not be partaking of this remembrance of the Lord's Passover. Um, communion is for those who have been redeemed, who've been, been, been uh, entered into the covenant, part of the new covenant. And the circumcision, of course, would have been the sign of the, of the old covenant. It isn't at this point, but it will be as they, as they go. It's a sign of the covenant that God made with, uh, with Abraham. <clears throat> I shouldn't say it's a sign of the, the covenant. It's a sign of the covenant. It means that you are one of, you have put yourself under the Abrahamic covenant. A um, couple, couple of other things, though, with the last couple of minutes that we have, and there's certainly a lot more than we have dug out here, Everybody catch that um, with the Passover lamb, this was in verse 46, that you're not to break any of its bones. Okay. Um, it was kind of interesting. Does that remind you of anything? Yeah. Uh, all the way back, we, it's a quote sometimes from, from um, Psalm 22, but, but the Messiah is not to have a single bone broken. Um, the Passover lamb is to be without any bones breaking it, being broken. Um, look at verse 42, though. I want to end with this because I think this is kind of interesting. And then I want to bring in some applications. Verse 42, it says, um, it was a night of watching by the Lord. That's a beautiful picture. What is actually happening on the Passover? God is watching over Israel. It's a night of watching. So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout the generations. <clears throat> so God watched over us on the night of the Passover, we're to keep watch or the Israelite people are to keep watch. Um, I was telling April, I was reading about this. Uh, you were not allowed to fall asleep during the Passover Seder. But the Passover Seder, as we mentioned, is long. It's several hours, you eat a lot, and during the course of the evening, you drink four glasses of wine. So by the end of it, people are getting kind of sleepy. And sometimes people will doze off. So the, the rabbis, who have rules for everything, had a rule to know if you had fallen asleep or were just dozing. Dozing was okay. Falling asleep, that was bad. You had to leave the Passover meal. If when your name was called, you responded, but you didn't know the answer to the question, you had just dozed off. <laughs> but if they called your name and you didn't respond, you were asleep, okay? But it was important they took that part of it, okay? But now I want you to think about something. This was fascinating for me. On the night that Jesus is betrayed, he goes out to pray with his disciples. And what does he tell them? Keep watch. Keep watch. Watch with me. God had watched over the people. Now they were to keep watch. And what does he say when he comes back? You, you couldn't even keep watch? You couldn't watch over while this was happening? It's a, I think it's a direct re, um, taking right back to this passage. God watched over, but we're supposed to be watching. The disciples couldn't do it. They couldn't keep watch. The, the sacrifice was for them. 
despite their inability even to keep watch at that point. What's important is not that we keep watch. What was important was that God watches over. God watched over his people. I'm sure there's a lot of people who've fallen asleep in the Passover Seder. Peter and James and John, the disciples, fell asleep when they should have been keeping, keeping watch. So a lot of parallels to the New Testament. Let me bring up some things that I, I think are pretty obvious, but let me just put it anyways. Some lessons from the Passover. Um, first one is there is no middle ground. There's no middle road for anybody. There's no other way to be delivered from the slavery of sin. You, you either are under the blood or you're not, right? In Israel, what happened to a firstborn? He either, was, he either died or he was set free. And it's the same thing. As Christians, we understand there is only one way to be set free from sin. There is no other path. You either choose eternal life or you choose eternal death. Either blood is applied and you are set free or the blood is not applied and you are not set free. There's no middle ground. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father but through me, he is simply reminding them that he is the Passover, in this context, he is the Passover lamb and there is no other. There's no other way to be set free from sin. Um, Second, nothing less than the power and mercy of God can set you free. It isn't our own works. It isn't something that we have done. It's simply applying the blood. It's putting the blood on the doorposts and allowing then God to watch over us. Um, That's why it is so important that we don't turn this around. I I need to have a a good life so Christ will be my Passover. No, the reason that Christ is our Passover is so that we can live a life that is free from sin. Not that we achieve that in this life, but we will be made like him, and we set our hope on that. Um, Third, we need a substitute. Um, and, And somebody else has to do it for us. There is no man who is going to be able to (coughs) affect his own salvation. It is not possible. We need a substitute. There's nothing else that would work but what God had set up, which is the Passover lamb. And then lastly is that the blood must be applied. We can know it all. You could have been a Jew who said, I understand what you're saying, I believe it, but unless the blood is applied, the the death angel would have come into that house. There are people who grow up in a Christian home, know all the truth, but the blood is never applied. And as a result, they are not covered by the blood. So a fascinating passage, a long one I know, but one that, um, and by the way, we've just, you could probably spend even more time and go into more parts of this and see more and more connections. I've tried to keep to the ones that I think fit perfectly with the New Testament so that we can see the parallels. But uh, that's why I said at the beginning, this is, this is more meaningful to us than to the, to the Israelite people, to the Jews. The Jews look back and see deliverance from physical slavery. We look back and see deliverance from a much worse slavery, which is the slavery of sin. So we're a little bit over time. Any comments though, before we, before we end, Tom? 
I find it interesting that none of the New Testament writers took a passage like this line for line and made parallels. They did bits and pieces. Yeah. Uh, but, but that the Lord left it for us to kind of discover. Yeah. Uh, or uh, yeah, to discover. Yeah. This, this verse, by the way, if you go back and read the context, it's that the people are battling with sin. Actually, they're ignoring sin. And this is where Paul says, Christ has been sacrificed, keep the feast. That uh, talks about a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. Uh, so um, <clears throat> Paul is the only one who makes it completely explicit. Yeah, yeah it is interesting, though. You would have thought that. Uh, boy, you could just write a whole book on this. In a sense, Hebrews, there's a section in Hebrews that comes pretty close, but any other comments before we finish? All right, let's go ahead and go ahead and pray.